Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Humility precedes honor. Haughtiness precedes destruction. Listen, I'm not the sharpest knife in the kitchen drawer, but if I have my choice between honor and destruction, hmm, I'll choose honor. Because destruction doesn't sound very fun. Sounds very bad, actually. Sounds like it would hurt a lot. It does. And we bring it upon ourselves because of pride and being haughty. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Proverbs. When things turn into a mess, it's easy to blame everyone but yourself. We always think, I couldn't possibly have caused this disaster. But Pastor J.D. is here today to remind us that oftentimes our attitude brings about our own ruin. If you maintain a mindset of pride, whatever follows after will only be destructive. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Proverbs chapter 18 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Don't we live in a consumerism world? Everything's disposable. I mean, even the products we have now. Everything is just, consu- get this, I know this is going to be deeply profound. Consumer? Consume? You consume it. Consumer. Consumers consume. Not communers, communers commune. We sup with the Lord and He sups with us. There's a communion, a common union. And that mindset is more like this. You come to the church and the worship team's invisible. It's not about them. They're just leading me into worship. You get so caught up, you're just, you're worshiping the Lord. That's why Oftentimes, and I know you do the same thing, I close my eyes, because I, I don't want to be distracted by anything. I just want to close my eyes, and I just want to praise the Lord. He inhabits the praises of His people. So I just want to, I want to commune with you. I want to sup with you. I want to worship you. I want to praise you. I want to glorify you. I want to magnify you. And so <laughs> when, when the communer goes to a church, the worship songs... I had somebody one time tell me again, I never use illustrations from here, so I always use illustrations from the mainland, so to protect the guilty. <laughs> but I had somebody years ago on the mainland ask, or say to me uh, after church one day, he said, you know, I, I really didn't enjoy the worship today. I didn't think the worship was that good today. Now back then, you have to understand, I was a lot more militant than I, I am now, and I was younger. I had more energy nowadays. You know, as you get older, you just... You ask yourself this question, do I have the energy (laughs) to do this? And usually it's, you know what, just, it's okay. You know, you just let it go. You overlook it. Actually, that's going to be in the Proverbs uh, here uh, later. But back then I, I was a little bit more snarky, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I just looked at this guy. I just said, well, you know what, that's not a problem because the worship isn't for you. So it doesn't matter if you liked it or not. And I didn't even want to ask him about the sermon. <laughs> you know, apparently we're a little bit critical, aren't we? 
hypercritical perhaps. So in other words, the, the worship has to be good for you. No, it doesn't matter. And by the way, this goes both ways. And I've, I've shared this. So I'm up here, I'm teaching the Word, and the litmus test for me should never be what you think about it. See, when I drive home at the end of the day, it takes me 22 minutes to get from the church to my house. And that is prime time for me and the Lord. And the only one, I have an audience of one, the only one that it really matters If they were pleased and blessed, Lord, did I please you? Did I bless you? Was that pleasing to you? So you might say, hey, that sermon was horrible. Well, if God was pleased with it, then it doesn't really matter what you think. There's something about us, this consumer mindset, where we place ourselves on the throne of judgment and we're the judge. We judge whether or not that church is a good church. That worship team is a good worship team. That pastor is a good pastor. Because we're the ones. We're the ones. This is Laodicea, and I don't want to get too far off into this, but it's the laity that decides. That's what the word Laodicea, the name Laodicea means. It's where we get laity and diocese, where the laity decide. This is the lukewarm church that Jesus is on the outside of, knocking to come back in to sup with them and them with Him. This is a church, an actual physical, literal church in modern day Turkey, then called Asia Minor. The seventh of the seven churches in Revelation. And this church, it's really fascinating. We've talked about this before. If you do a study of it, and you'll have to go to the King James Version because it accurately translates, because all seven letters begin the same way, except for the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. It's always to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? To the angel of the church of Smyrna, to the angel of the church of Thyatira, to the angel of the church of Sardis, Philadelphia, so on, Pergamum. Then he gets to Laodicea to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Oh, well that's different. In other words, (laughs) it's their church. It's not my church anymore. They're calling the shots. The laity decide. They judge. (laughs) I'm not even welcome in there anymore. I want to get back in. At one time I was there. I want to get back in. That's why I'm knocking on the door, to get back in. They're the ones, they have basically taken over, and they have made this church all about them, and that's why they're the lukewarm church. And it's really more graphic in the original, because in the original it's not, I want to spit you out of my mouth, I wish you were either hot or cold. No, I I want to vomit you out of my mouth. You make me sick. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, it's the Laodiceans church. It's not Christ's church, it's their church. Okay, I went way, way, way on that one. Verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Where are you going to run when the time comes? And who are you going to look to? And who are you going to fall back on when hard times hit? Who are you going to go to for strength? It's the name of the Lord that is a strong tower. I think of David in the Psalms where he writes, from where does my help come? When I look to the hills, does it come from the hills? No, my help comes from the Lord. 
He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. And the righteous run to it, and they're safe. They find refuge. Verse 11 kind of takes it a little bit further. It says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own esteem. In other words, there are those who amass and accumulate the wealth that the world has to offer, and they start relying on it. Their strength is in it, and they look to it for security. And like a high wall, walls were seen in that day as being the protection. I'm set for life. This high wall is now my own esteem. In other words, there's this esteeming of oneself, this exalting of oneself because of all of this wealth that has been accumulated. And that's dangerous. And all it takes, whew, doesn't take much, doesn't take much. It is a fool who puts his trust in wealth instead of the Lord. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. But I will trust in the Lord. Don't you find it interesting that on all of our money it says, in God we trust? Do you think there's something behind that? You get the point, right? In other words, there's this proclivity, this propensity within every single one of us to put our trust in mammon money, possessions, wealth, and not the Lord. Verse 12, before destruction the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. This is a sort of a repetitive theme we've talked about where pride comes before the fall. God exalts the proud, but He humbles the exalted. And so too here, it's kind of wording it in a way where this is what comes before. So here's destruction. This this life is blown up. I mean, they just blew up their lives. You want to know what happened before that led up to that? Oh, haughtiness, arrogance, pride self-confidence, exalting oneself, thinking more highly of oneself than they ought. That's what preceded it. So you look at the aftermath, and this is what the proverb is, is doing, is painting this picture, this portrait on the canvas, the backdrop of this aftermath. What happened? Oh, because all you see is destruction. Well, what happened before the destruction? What led up to the destruction? haughtiness. And then you have the flip side, the opposite, the antithesis. So then you have this picture of honor. What what led up to that? What happened before that? Oh, humility. Humility precedes honor. Haughtiness precedes destruction. Listen, I'm not the sharpest knife in the kitchen drawer, but if I have my choice between honor and destruction, hmm, I'll choose honor. Because destruction doesn't sound very fun. Sounds very bad actually. Sounds like it would hurt a lot. It does. And we bring it upon ourselves because of pride and being haughty. Verse 13, this is a very interesting proverb. 
He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. In other words, (laughs) you're going to answer before you've heard the whole thing, you're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to embarrass yourself. You know, sometimes, not sometimes, almost it seems like all the time, we'll get comments posted on our YouTube channel. And I know there's trolls out there. I had to actually look up what the definition of a troll was, because we would have online members that would say, you're a troll, get off of this channel. So I said, wow, a troll? Because, you know, growing up as a kid, the only thing I remember a troll was, was this ugly, big, scary monster underneath a bridge. Thinking, that's what a troll is? So yeah, that's what they they do. They Anyway, I'm sorry about that, but you get the point. These are, not, these are not kind people. I saw another documentary on this, as a matter of fact. They actually do it because they enjoy the reaction, especially from Christians. Because they'll post something like, you know, Jesus is not the Christ, He's the Antichrist. And Christians, we're so, we're like, oh! You know, and we, we just, you know, we go crazy, we go out of our minds, and rightfully so, and it's a righteous anger, and they love that. That's why they do that. And picture a guy sitting there with a sweaty shirt. Maybe this is a horrible picture to paint, but, you know, in the basement of his house, you know, eating Twinkies with a, you know, computer, a couple of screens in front of him, and that's what he does all day. He needs a job is what he needs. I don't know how he gets away with doing that. And all he does is he trolls all of these channels and he just wants to get people angry. And he loves that. He lives for it. That's a sick person, I'll tell you. So we'll get people that will post these trolling comments, you know, about the teaching, you know, and You know, I'm learning. I heard someone say many years ago that if you're going to be a pastor, you better have the heart of a child, the mind of a scholar, and the hide of a rhinoceros, or you'll not survive. (laughs) And that's so true. So I try to have the hide of of a rhinoceros. You know, I can't let my feelings get hurt or else I will not survive. So I mean, some really mean, evil, vile comments. And then somebody, one of our online members, I love this, they'll, they'll post, you know, right below it, Quit embarrassing yourself. Oh, I like that. I just think, that is so good. I say, quick like. I wish there was, <laughs> right? You'd Come on, you do the same thing. This is what the proverb is saying. You answer a matter before you hear the entirety of the matter. You're just going to embarrass yourself. You're going to make a fool of yourself. And you're going to bring shame upon yourself. Verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? I was thinking about this. Some of you live this. I know I've lived this, and in many ways still am. Basically what it's saying is, you know, you can heal a broken bone, but man, a broken heart? Who can bear that? It's so much easier to heal a broken bone than it is a broken heart, a broken spirit, a heartbrokenness. Who can bear being heartbroken? Verse 15, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge. This is a key word. Hang on to it for a second. 
and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Now, you've got the ear of the wise seeking knowledge and the heart of the prudent acquiring knowledge. Is that redundant? No. It carries with it the idea of, listen, you can have knowledge, but you have to acquire it, and acquiring it is applying it. And it's kind of like this, and we've talked about this before. Knowledge is just information. It can be to no avail. I mean, how many people are very knowledgeable, but very foolish? It's the wisdom that is the application of that information. So you're acquiring the information, but it's the seeking to apply it. That's the wisdom. So knowledge is information, but wisdom is the application of that information. And this is what the proverb is saying. Verse 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Now I I kind of struggle with this one, and I had to look to the commentaries. I don't usually go there uh, initially. Eventually I might, just to make sure I'm on the right planet when I'm, you know, teaching it, so I'm not too far off. At first read, I kind of took away from this that when you, you know, bring gifts as was, and really is the custom today, we were talking about this on Sunday, the gifts from the wise men. It was very customary, a royal visit you would always bring gold to a king at a royal visit. That was the custom. So my first thought was along those lines that maybe this is speaking to when you bring a gift, uh, you'll be before great men. And then I heard this commentator with this insight, and it kind of intrigued me because the thought was that it's not a physical or monetary gift, rather is a spiritual gift. Stay with me. Think about this. So you have this gift. God has gifted you spiritually. We all have been given spiritual gifts and talents, right? And if we use those gifts that God has given us, then we will have doors open for us. I think about the proverb that we're going to get to, that if you see someone skilled in what they do, gifted perhaps, if you prefer, they will not be before obscure men, but before kings. In other words, when you have a gift, and God gives you a gift, and you use that gift, He's going to open doors with that gift that He's given you. And certainly this is true in ministry as well. Verse 17, I love this proverb. I use this proverb so many times in my life. The first one to plead his cause seems right until (laughs) his neighbor comes and examines him. Okay, let's have a little bit of fun with this one. So you got this situation, right? And the first person comes to you and they're going to tell you their side of the story. And you're listening to them and you're starting to kind of feel sorry for them. Yeah, and then they did this to me. Oh, how could they? And then they did this. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. No way, way. And they're just, I mean, they're pleading their their cause. By the way, this is why we do not offer biblical guidance to the husband or the wife alone. It's the two of them or nothing. Because if you allow that husband to come in first and plead his case, by the time he's done, you're going to think that wife is the Antichrist, okay? And then she comes in and she pleads her case. You're going, wait just a minute. 
It's, it seemed right. He was saying all these things and pleading his case. And you're going, wow, this is unbelievable. And then you hear the other side and you're going, wait a minute. This does not, you, where's the person that he said you were? Because that's not the person that's sitting in front of me now. There's always, and you've heard this before. In fact, in the Arab culture, we have a saying, there's two sides to every coin. It's more literal in the Arabic. I know we have that in the English too. It's the other side of the coin. I don't know how we, how we say it. Or there's always two, two sides to the story. I'm, I'm completely botching these uh, sayings, aren't I? But you get the point, right? And this is what the Proverbs is saying. The first one to present their case, oh man, you're going, that, that seems right. They're wrong. And then the other comes and says, wait a minute, you need to hear my side of the story. And then they come and then you examine, you ask questions, and all of a sudden what seems so right when the first presented their case isn't right. Now that you've heard the other side of the story, this is in parenting too. When siblings, I know you know nothing of this, and you know, in my home there's that sibling rivalry. And just the other day, you know, Levi's home from college. My daughter comes and says, Levi did this and that and this and that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, Levi, get up here. Then Levi says, oh, that's what she told you. Let me tell you the other side of the story. Then I'm like, Sabia, get back up here. What are you doing? The moral of the story, the takeaway is don't listen to just one side of the story. Hear both sides. I feel better now. Where where was I? We were somewhere here. Verse 18. Thank you. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. This is, we we do it today. um, We flip a coin. You know, you can't, you can't decide. So we'll flip a coin. That's how we're going to make this decision because we just can't come to an agreement. So We're going to just toss a coin, flip a coin. Verse 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now you have to understand in that culture, in that time, the cities were walled for protection. Even today when you go to Jerusalem, you have the old city walls that are there to this day. And so This proverb is saying that when you offend a brother, it's harder to win them than it is to conquer a strong, walled city. The words of wisdom the book of Proverbs provides weren't meant to only be applied to life in the author's time. They were also meant to benefit generations to come, including you. All ages and walks of life can benefit from this book in this modern world. Proverbs gives you practical advice for living a life that's pleasing to your Creator. It also shares insight for ways to interact with others to not only show love, but to model Jesus. Pastor J.D. will have more to share from Proverbs when you join us next time on In Spirit and Truth. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from Pastor J.D. at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
You can also subscribe to our podcast, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and even download our mobile app. This is a great way to keep Pastor J.D.'s teachings with you wherever you go, and even share them with others. You'll find a link to download at our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. We also invite you to check out Pastor J.D.'s weekend update, the Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. You'll find these updates on our mobile app or on our website. One more time, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you've been encouraged by this teaching in Proverbs and that you'll continue to study them on your own. Tune in next time for more right here on In Spirit and Truth. Oh.